Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Report Podcast. I'm Extension Agent Kylie Miller, and today we're talking with Dr. Trey Price, plant pathologist based out of the Macon Ridge Research Station in Winsboro. Welcome, Trey. Thank you for taking the time for being with us this morning. Anytime. All right, let's begin by um, telling us a little bit about yourself, Trey. I'm a plant pathologist. I work in all crops, uh, with the exception of cane and sweet potatoes. I'm based at the Macon Ridge Research Station, um, and I'm responsible for pretty much all crops in the Northeast region. Also, working uh, actually all over the state. I've got research plots at St. Joseph, uh, Winsboro, and uh, in Alexandria, and we also take the opportunity to do things on farms if growers will let us uh, we try to kind of trade them something for for a little spot of land if, and if we mm-hmm. can identify specific problems on their farms okay. uh, they can help us out and we can help them out okay well um today i'd like to talk to you about seed treatments um also i'd like to touch on taproot decline or any other research projects you have going on this year you'd like to talk about um, so let's talk about seed treatments. Um, what are some considerations that uh, we need to think about when making our selections for seed treatments in soybeans? Sure. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of questions this spring on soybean seed treatments. I suspect that most of the soybeans this year are going to come with at least a base treatment, and that's usually um, a, a broad-spectrum strobe and or triazole plus uh, metal axle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's adequate in soybeans mm-hmm. um, and un- under ideal conditions you really don't need a fungicide seed treatment in soybeans mm-hmm. uh, we'll generally see an increased stand under adverse conditions but they they rarely make a difference in the bottom line uh, but this year a lot of people are they're kind of chomping at the bit to get in the field mm-hmm. and we're still kind of cold uh, in no-till situations you'll be a little wetter and colder mm-hmm. so that that the seed treatment will definitely uh, increase or, or give you give you a better stand compared to non-treated seed. Right. And um, I, I know down in my area in Concordia Parish, there's a lot of guys that have already started planting soybeans. That's right. We're looking at, uh, you know, lows in the 30s this weekend. So that's, uh, that's not ideal for soybean planting. Right, yeah. All but right. if you can get a stand and keep them going, the other, the other thing to consider on seed treatments is seed supply this year. Mm. Uh, you know, the seed supplies are down. It's my understanding. So, you know, farmers may want to protect their investment, their seed investment, because if you have a replant decision, you may not be able to find soybeans to replant. That's true. If you have a disaster. Uh, so the fungicide seed treatments and soybean there are definitely an insurance. Uh, one of the – another thing that's come up this year is – is the effect of fungicide seed treatments on germination. Your germination is your germination. You can't really change that. And you can't you can't resurrect soybean seed from the dead with a fungicide seed treatment. So what you're doing is, is you're protecting that seedling. If the seed's still infected with a pathogen and it's still alive and it germinates, that's when your fungicide seed treatments are going to help you. So, okay. The seed quality was a major, major problem in 2018, and uh, I think we're, we're kind of suffering the consequences of it in spring this year. So hopefully we can get a stand everywhere. We'll see. 
Right. Um, this year has been a lot better in the spring than the, the past few years. I know we've definitely had less than ideal conditions in the past. So, um, yep. But moving right along, let's cover on seed treatments on cotton. So what are some things you think we need to be aware of when we're talking about those? Uh, the biggest thing I can stress on that is do not plant cotton without a fungicide on the seed. You're setting yourself up for disaster if you do that. Also, you know, you want to plant under ideal conditions if you can. If you've got an, if you've got an adverse weather forecast coming up, uh, you know, sometimes it's better to just wait mm-hmm. instead of instead of jumping out and planting them. Uh, because if you get, you know, a week of rain on cotton, you're going to have a tough time getting a stand, and you're going to kind of your, your plants are going to be dragging the, the rest of the season mm-hmm. uh, with some of these pathogens that will infect them. Mm-hmm. As far as the seed treatments specifically. In most cases, the base, whatever the base is that companies are offering, they offer a lot of different options, mm-hmm. you know, but most cotton seed will come with, a, with like I said, with soybeans, with a, with a, with a strobe, triazole plus metalaxyl on it, or some combination of, of at least three, three modes of action, maybe four. Mm-hmm. So in, in most cases, that's adequate for getting a stand, particularly if you got warm weather. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people like to overtreat their seed because cotton seed is so expensive. Um, some people want to put a little more on there. I encourage growers that want to do that. Do your homework. Figure out what's on that seed. Mm-hmm. Because if you already have a group four fungicide or a group three or whatever, and you overtreat it with another group three, you're you're not really adding anything to the to the game mm-hmm. there. It's kind of, it's just redundant. So. Um, that would be the advice I would offer for, for cotton seed treatments. Main thing is, you know, we got plenty of time to plant cotton in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So if you jump out there and you're planting early, you know, it's a little risky. So, you, you know, patience, I'd say patience is key on cotton. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait until it's cotton planting weather. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I'm yep. going to back up just a little bit. Um, when we're talking about seed treatments, what are some of the diseases that you're that you're talking about protecting us against whenever we're talking about main, seed treatments? main thing in Louisiana on soybeans and cotton is rhizoctonia damping mm-hmm. off. Uh, it's caused by rhizoctonia solani. Okay. Strobes, uh, you know, the, the, the strobelium fungicides and the SDHIs are, are really good on that particular organism. The other problems are, I mean, in cotton are... Well, and beans too. You have fusarium. Mm-hmm. Um, in cotton, used the Ladyopsis specifically, black root rot used to be an issue. I don't see that very much though. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the cases I've, I've gone on are, have been rhizoctonia. Mm-hmm. If we end up with a wet spring, you'll have problems with pythium in, in, uh, in, in areas of fields that don't drain well. Mm-hmm. So, or the or the areas that drain last is okay. generally where we'll see those those issues. Okay. Well, thanks for that information. Um, let's move on into taproot decline. Um, can you tell us what taproot decline is and kind of what some of the symptoms are that we need to be looking for to properly kind of ID what it is? Um, I, I know it's kind of a hot topic whenever right. that time of the year gets here. But, um, but yeah, if you could just tell us about what it is and what to look for. Um. Sure, yeah, and, and I've gotten some questions on seed treatments trying to, to prevent taproot decline, actually, and we have not identified any seed treatments yet uh, that are effective on taproot decline. We're, we, we continue to look at that. Uh, we have seen some Inferro fungicide sprays that 
are promising, but we need more information. Uh, but taproot decline, you're going to have a problem with taproot decline in fields where you have minimum tillage or reduced tillage or no tillage, and you're planting soybeans following soybeans. Particularly two or more years, you, we see an increase in incidence and severity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can identify taproot decline in the field even if you know what you're looking for, even in, in seedling beans. We see symptoms uh, on the cotyledons. They'll be, uh, it's kind of hard to describe over the phone without taking a picture, but you'll have a discoloration of those cotyledons. There'll be some chlorosis yellowing or, or dead tissue. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and the, the leaflet, the, the uh, leaflets will show um, just kind of a mild intervenal yellowing. But that's, that's what you would look for in, in, in seedling beans. and vegetative stage plants, you just see that intervenal mm-hmm. yellowing on the leaflets. And what happens is, is a lot of times these seedlings will die or these vegetative plants will die. Uh, and, and the healthier plants next to them will just cover them up. So, and, you know, farmers are busy doing other stuff. They're like, hey, man, my beans are growing great. Right, yeah. They'll, they'll cover up these plants that are dead or, or have symptoms. And... Usually we don't get calls on it until pod fill. That plant starting, to, you know, it's plant starting to fill those pods, so it's stressing a little bit, and uh, you'll really start seeing things show up during pod fill, and you can see it from the turn row. It looks like uh, the soybeans are cutting out early, and you can go out there and look, and you've got foliar symptoms, that intervenal chlorosis and necrosis, and you can start digging those plants up, and you'll see that characteristic black root. Okay. So. They'll have blackened roots, and uh, all, if, when you dig them up, you'll see the roots in contact with debris from the previous season. Okay. It's pretty easy to identify once once we know what we're looking for. Right. I think this, I think this disease is it's been around. It's a little more widespread than we think. I think it gets dismissed as sudden death syndrome in some of the northern states, but we're going to try to find that out. We're working with our northern colleagues to get a better distribution of it. Okay. It's caused by a fungus. It's caused by Xylaria species, and, and we have a graduate student working to name that particular organism, which is kind of exciting. So, Interesting. Well, I know you've been, and just by going to field days and such, that you've been working on, you know, susceptible varieties or maybe even some resistant varieties. Um, yes. How is that research have, coming? It's, com- it's coming pretty good. Myra Purvis, the research associate here, has finished her a greenhouse screening. We've identified some varieties. Uh, I'd say they're uh, just off top of my head. This, there were seven that we could say are resistant. And it uh, seems like there were 20 or 30 that were moderately resistant. So growers do have some options with varieties. Um, the problem is, of course, is availability of varieties. Um, but we've got that list, and we've, we've actually uh, – I think we put that out in a blog post on LouisianaCrops.com. Okay. I'd have to double check. I'm pretty sure we put it there, and I've got it. You know, we can get that information for growers if they want it. Uh, but there are there are a handful of resistant varieties that could be an option for people that have the problem, know they have the problem, and they don't have a rotation choice. I think the biggest management management tactic we can do with taproot decline is crop rotation. Mm-hmm. But in some years, those options are limited. Um, the other thing is a tillage operation. Any any minimum tillage, when I say minimum tillage, that's pulling your rows up in the fall. Um, you, we're going to see a reduced 
incidents, anything that moves that debris around or encourages it to decompose, uh, we're going to see a reduced incidence. And a lot of these guys rode their fields up last year. They completely reworked them. They're probably not going to have problem taproot climb. Okay. Because I see until you know, with with conventional tillage, we see uh, definitely a reduced incidence of that that particular disease. So you think you see this problem more with beans behind beans? Is that correct? Absolutely, no okay. doubt about it. All right. All right, well, aside from seed treatments and taproot decline, is there anything else you'd like to make our listeners aware of as we are moving into planting and going into the growing season Um, or any other research you've got? Well, yeah, um, a lot of the calls, I'll just kind of talk about the calls. I expect before long we're going to have corn up and we're going to have people putting out paraquat. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're going to have some a little bit of paraquat drift on corn. Normally, it won't. It'll just spot up, and it'll look like a bacterial disease called hocus spot. Okay. Um, I fully expect that to happen this year. It happens every year, but it's just cosmetic most of the time. Unless you've got a guy spraying next to you and the wind's blowing twenty miles an hour, uh, you know you're not going to see a, a yield reduction due to those due to paraquat drift just in extreme cases whenever mm-hmm. they they really get you good. So uh, I see that coming down the pipe. Also see uh, we'll start seeing some common rust early in corn, and we'll get start getting questions about fungicide applications in corn. Um, I, we don't recommend fungicide applications in corn in the absence of disease. A lot of growers are going are gonna to put, put an application out no matter what, and usually the best time, and of course, is that, is that R1 application timing. If you've got a variety out there or a hybrid out there that's that's just really susceptible to northern corn leaf blight and you know it, mm-hmm. um, and you have corn following corn, an earlier application may be better than that than that tassel and timing because you can you can get the disease just just as we're as we're starting to see symptoms and, and it, they seem to be a little more effective than the later applications. When that northern corn leaf lights down at low in the canopy and it's starting to get going, and uh, you don't you can't get as good good coverage when the corn's at R one, say versus B nine. So, mm-hmm. Well, I'd like um, you to touch on uh, fungicide and soybeans too, while we have sure. a little time left. Sure. Yeah, we've got in in the state we've got growers that will try to make a soybean crop without a fungicide application. We've got growers that are going to put out one no matter what, and we've got growers that are going to put out mm-hmm. two no matter what. Yeah. So, and we've got all of those. We've got all three of those camps in, in the northeast region. So, it comes down to personal preference of the grower. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that you can make a soybean crop without a fungicide application, particularly if you have an early crop. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen a lot. The other thing is in soybeans. Most of the problems that we have in soybeans, we can manage reactively. So if you're scouting your beans and they're clean, come back in a week and look at them again. If your consultant's looking at them, come back and look at them in a week. Mm-hmm. And, and you can do that. And um, if you keep pushing that application a week, before you know it, you filled your pods and it's over with. Mm-hmm. So for, for people that, that say, I'm going to put one application out no matter what, I tell people get it to as close as a, as R five as you can stand it. Okay. Uh, just kind of delay it as long as you can because 
the, the longest re- reproductive period in beans pod peel. So you're looking at R5 to R6. That's going to take at least a month, for, you know, four to five weeks, or maybe even six weeks sometimes. So if you have that application at R5, you're going to protect your crop during uh, one of the most important periods, which is, again, pod peel. Okay. So, well, um, I'm um, going to put you on the spot here, uh, considering that sure. I, I'm a horticulture agent and so that I get a lot of questions about that. But um, I've been getting a lot of calls this spring on brown spot in lawns, particularly, I guess, St. Augustine. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so if there's anything you could talk about that, um, you know, I know we had a warm winter, lots of rain, stuff like that. Um, can you talk about that disease and maybe how we can manage that? Uh, yeah, I guess I could. Uh, uh, turf, turf grass is a little out of my wheelhouse, <laughs> wheelhouse but uh, I do have a, 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 turf, a compendium of turf grass, grass diseases in my office, and if somebody has a problem, they can call me, and I can take it on a case-by-case case basis. Right. I have seen reports from, uh, there's a turf outfit, uh, Maria Tommaso Peterson out of Mississippi State University is a really good turf pathologist, and they've, they've seen a lot of pythium problems. Mm-hmm. over the winter because it's such a wet winter you know yeah uh, and i see every year i see uh, rhizoctonia problems in, in in turf grass so and there are options out there that you can uh, there's stuff you can get the hardware store that you can you can spray that'll solve those problems mm-hmm. another thing in turf is uh you know fertility healthy mm-hmm. grass seems to be a little less diseased than other than other than other uh the non-healthy grass so mm-hmm. um but it, you know again that's kind of out of my wheelhouse <laughs> <laughs> well i figured i would try to put you on the spot for a little bit but it um, happens all the time i know you, i know i know <laughs> Well, I guess that's all the time that we have for today. I just want to thank you again for being a part of our, our podcast, and thanks for sharing all that great information with our listeners. And, again, thanks for all the hard work you do, and and I know that we'll probably be in touch with you again as we go through the growing season. Um, but before we sign off, I'd like to remind our listeners about um, the Wheat and Cover Crop Field Day. Um, it's on April 12th. Um, I can you tell us anything yeah. about that? Yeah, that's, that'll be Friday morning, April 12th. Uh, you know, hopefully if if any growers can come out, that'd be great. I know the field work's more important this time of year, but <clears throat> we'd lo- I'd love to be able to show them some, some wheat plots, and we're going to talk. we got some stuff to show about cover crops in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, several several really good speakers on the program, and we'll have a good lunch afterwards at about 1230. And uh, any. You know, anytime somebody can come to the research station, it, it's, it's good for us. You know, we have to remind people all the time that you know, this research station is not our, it's not our research station. It belongs to the people of Louisiana, and, and uh, they should utilize it because they, they pay for some of it through their tax dollars. Absolutely. And uh, certainly appreciate them for that. Um, I think that's about all I had on the, on the, on the wheat and cover crop field day. Just okay. hope we get a good crowd and. And looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, if anyone has any questions on it, can they contact you in Winsboro? Sure can. All right. Well, sure can. I, I appreciate what you, what, the, what you do as an agent, mm-hmm. Dennis and RL. I think this the podcast is, uh, yeah, guys out of Mississippi State have been doing it, but it's kind of fun to do. And Oh, I'll yeah. be glad if y'all have me back sometime. Oh, I'm sure we will. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Trey. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. Goodbye. All right. Bye-bye. As always, we ask you to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. If you have any topics you'd like us to to address here on our podcast, feel free to contact myself, Dennis Burns, or R.L. Frazier. Also, be sure to subscribe to our Twitter account at LA Delta Crop. Again, thanks for listening to the Louisiana Delta Crop Report podcast. See you next time. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.